Hi, my name is Megan, and I'm a trans woman. And I'm Nate, assigned male at birth and living a male life. We're going to have a conversation about what it means to live an authentic life. If you're trans, think you might be trans, or know trans people but aren't one yourself, we have something interesting to talk about. Our goal is to normalize talking about the human experience. Welcome to the Transversation. And here we go for part two of our historically interesting potentially gay people before 1980. Good morning, Megan. Good morning, Nate. Welcome back. Welcome back. So. Hey, are you a friend of Dorothy? I've seen Wizard of Oz a few times. Well, that phrase has a lovely, interesting use. The phrase friend of Dorothy was actually a way for gay men to secretly identify themselves during the eras when being gay was actually criminal and you could get arrested for it. So it was a way to subtly be like, hey, are you gay? All right. Okay, so what parts of the world, what decades are we talking about? So this one is a little bit difficult to pin down just because the origin of the phrase— Well, it's a super secret subculture that is not to be— Exactly. Its whole point is to keep people secret, keep it— keep So it we didn't hit. document when this became in use. It's not like the internet right now where you can look up the first instances of this particular phrase and then Absolutely. find it retroactively. Absolutely. Okay. So when did it come of note? When— are your first sources suggesting this has been a thing? So our first possible origin is from the publishing of the book of Dorothy of Oz. Oh, it is the same Dorothy. It's potentially. Okay. So one of the interesting things is in the book, one of Dorothy's traveling companions, Polychrome, who exclaims, you have some queer friends, Dorothy. And she replies, queerness doesn't matter so long as they're friends. <laughs> Did queerness at that time have a connotation of homosexuality like it does today? Or was that just a statement of eccentricity? It was more a statement of eccentricity. Okay. Because for the longest time, gay was happy. You'd have a gay old time when you got together. Even in the Flintstones in the 60s, the main lyrics at the beginning of that song is they'll have a gay old time. Absolutely. And that was the best of my knowledge. There's nothing gay in the Flintstones. Oh, it might be uh, something to look into. I'll have you take a look into that. Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was queer meaning odd, strange, outside. It has since been applied to the LGBT community. Same thing with gay. Right. In the context, it doesn't quite fit. But during this period, queer was also considered a slur against homosexuals. Oh, okay. So even during that time, it was used as a slur. It had not been adopted by the community Correct. Yet. We don't see the reclaiming of the word queer for quite some time. Fascinating. Which we'll do an episode on. Which is still then L. Frank Baum, the author of All of the Wizard of Oz's, saying it doesn't matter if they're queer, throw in derogatory term, as long as they're friends. Exactly. So it is still a, a thinly veiled statement of protection. Absolutely. Okay, um, that's really cool. There are really actually cool. numerous references of LGBT characters in all of the Wizard of Oz books. One of the interesting things is the baby daughter of former King Pastorius of Oz is actually given to Mombi, the Wicked Witch of the North, who then turns Ozma, the daughter, into a boy and calls him Tip mm -hmm. in order to prevent him from becoming the rightful ruler of Oz. Right. So that might actually be one of the first trans characters mm -hmm. that we see that, you know, is kind of hinted at. Interesting. So what ends up happening with this character? So she's turned into a boy to be prevented from ever ruling Oz. What happens next? Her entire memory is wiped when that happens. And then ultimately, Princess Ozma is 
found and then restored to her actual gender and goes on to rule the fictional land of Oz. Very cool. It's one of those fantasy things you can't necessarily go one-to-one. Was this character intended to be trans? Not necessarily, but has a trans experience in that she was forced to turn into a boy through magical means. But nonetheless, the allegory, intentional or otherwise, exists. Absolutely. And is there to be interpreted if it applies and be inspiring should it apply. The other potential origin is from the movie, The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 movie, as Judy Garland was a outspoken ally of gay men and gay people (laughs) at the time. And so it might have been in reference to that. To that version of Dorothy. To Judy Garland's version of Dorothy. The other interesting one is that there's some evidence that the phrase actually predates the book even before then. So they could refer to Dorothy Parker, who was a humorist and defender of human and civil rights. During Prohibition, she would host parties where she would invite gay men, who would then invite more gay men, who would then invite (laughs) more gay men, and they become, you know, those loud, raucous parties that, uh, you know... Make it into the tabloids. Absolutely. So... It could be any of those. You know, it seems most likely that it was probably the movie. As we see, the phrase grew rapidly in popularity in the 1940s and 50s. And it's probably saw its peak around the 1980s, peak usage. Even through the 1980s, people still had to ask encoded. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's still illegal to be gay in a lot of places. Obviously, a lot of those are being repealed. But yeah, it was still a thing. It was still criminal to be openly gay in a lot of places. Well, and even where it's not criminal, it was still socially extremely challenging. Well, in a lot of places today, it's still extremely socially challenging. Absolutely. But it's not criminal, at least. You won't get arrested and thrown in prison for it. But somebody might throw a brick through your front window. Absolutely. Okay. What's really funny about this and this phrase is that one of the big contributing factors as to why Friend of Dorothy became less used and less and less important was actually there was a massive... And I mean massive investigation done by the Naval Intelligence Service. So a couple of officers of the Navy heard that some of their sailors were saying, oh, are you a friend of Dorothy? Oh, yeah, I'm a friend of Dorothy. And then they would get found out being gay. Okay. And so the Navy tasked their Naval Intelligence Service with figuring out who this Dorothy is, because clearly she knows all of the gay sailors, and we can't have gay sailors in the Navy, because we can't have gay people in any armed forces. Mm-mm, no, they so don't. Clearly, they we need to mobilize, and they ended up... So they're going to find Dorothy so she could turn in all of the gay sailors. Exactly. Okay. Not realizing <laughs> you cannot find this Dorothy who keeps tabs on all the gay people. But she's friends. She's but, friends with them. Yeah, she's friends with all of them. And it's absolutely hilarious. And this all would have taken place in the 50s around the Chicago area. That's right. So McCarthyism, we're still looking to turn in any potential leaking communists. We're looking to turn in neighbors who might not be uh, American enough. And all the rest of these things are going on in the 50s. Is right after World War II. Absolutely. When you've got to be as American as you can be. Absolutely. And being gay is not American, obviously. Well, not in the 1950s, it wasn't. (laughs) So yeah, once they found her, they were then going to round up all of the gay sailors, because obviously she knows all of them. Are they going to give them a dedicated gay uh, ship so that they could not interfere with and mingle with the other men? That'd be quite the punishment, right? 
put all the gay sailors on one ship by themselves. Oh, no. <laughs> what terrible, terrible punishment. Although that wouldn't necessarily be out of the realm of possibility. As we saw during World War II, they had uh, segregated units. And that performed very well. Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, they have a very honorable record. But that would be, I guess, a way to deal with it. Yeah, that's not what they were going to do, Obviously, though. it's not what they were going to okay, do. Okay, so they were, they were going to find Dorothy, round up the gay sailors, and then what? I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Yeah, so they, you know, tried and failed. They would have investigators go to local Chicago gay bars, and they would ask patrons, like, they'd go up to people and go, hey, have you met Dorothy? Do you know Dorothy? Just kind of the same question, but not quite. And it would be pretty obvious that they were not oh because they're, they're coming in their coats it's 1950s got the trench coat do you know dorothy that's part of the reason that the phrase kind of went out of style there is another where in the 1990s you know this is investigation has been going on for a very long time it was determined that the naval intelligence service was focusing on gay men unfairly because obviously they're too focused on the gay men. Dorothy couldn't still be an operative in the field this many decades later, could she? I, I think at this point they'd figured out that it wasn't an actual human. Okay, but they're still trying to figure out what it's code for. It's but, like... Yeah, they're trying to figure out how do you identify gay men. It's like getting together in the 50s and asking if you had a copy of the little red book. The yeah. book of communism. Yeah, right? absolutely. But yeah, so in the 90s, it was determined that the NIS was focusing too much on gay men. Okay. As the Navy at this point allowed women, sailors. So what they did to identify lesbians. Initially, the investigators had, had a really hard time. How do you determine who a lesbian is? That's a tough question. Like, you ask them, hey, maybe do you like women more than men? They determined that experience has shown that stereotypical female homosexuals in the Navy is hardworking, career-oriented, and willing to put in long hours on the job, and is among the command's top professionals. That does all sound like good things. Yeah, Exactly. Being competent, strong woman geared for leadership makes... Clearly that person is a lesbian because no real woman would be... Oh, I've got to go back to our episode number one on some of these basic terms because I think I am completely confused. I thought lesbians had more to do with women being attracted to women. Oh, it absolutely is. But that's how in the 90s the NIS was trying to find all of the lesbian women, which, again, really just points to the fact that anybody can be competent at their job... Like, their sexuality doesn't impact anything. Yeah, I, I got nothing. I'm trying to come up with anything to yeah. contribute to this. I'm just mind blown. Okay. Uh, yeah. Humans are weird, especially in power structures. So it seems to me that what we should actually be doing in the Navy in the 90s is actively recruiting as many lesbians as possible. I mean, that would be my recommendation because they're all— Based on these findings. Based on what the experience is telling them who the lesbians are. Yes, that would be my recommendation in the 90s. And I've known in my lifetime many 18-year-old boys who were of age to go in the service, and they don't meet that description. No. I mean, some do. And that's okay. You don't need to. But interesting double standards. But the women then were not asked if they were friends of Dorothy. That was not the litmus test. No, not in the 90s. Okay. Uh, All right. There's also a possibly apocryphal story from the 50s where one of the admirals in the NIS talked to his secretary and said, you know, was just really frustrated by the, we can't seem to find this Dorothy, we've got to figure this out. And he ended up asking her, are you a friend of Dorothy? And she said, I am. And he, you know, what completely wild was like, who is this Dorothy? You know, trying to get this information. And she ultimately said, 
and the majority of your typing pool in your office <laughs> our friends, our friends are Dorothy. So he in, you know, big huff and puff steps out of his office, goes out, you know, into the typing pool and says, how many of you are friends of Dorothy? <laughs> um, and again, in this apocryphal tale, about two thirds of them all raise their hand. And that is one of the things that led to them slowing down the investigation and like, being a little bit more respectful to it. <laughs> Again, I have no name. Like, I don't know the name of the Admiral, supposed ad- Admiral or whatever thing. If anybody listening has any firsthand experience with this or would love to share anything, we've always got time for guests. Absolutely. But it's just hilarious to think that that encounter might have happened, even if it didn't. It's still funny. The final thing I will say on this is that in the 1980s, there were 1,976 members of various branches of the military who were kicked out under the suspicion that they were gay. Okay. The Navy, after doing nearly 30 years of trying to root out all of its gay Research, members, I use that in air quotes yeah, here. That uh, 55% of that number of various service members who were dishonorably discharged were from the Navy. So over half of that number were dishonorably discharged for no reason other than being gay, which is absolutely abhorrent. But the NIS was absolutely terrible at their job. Well, there we have it. I am so glad that things have evolved a bit since then. But uh, thanks to humans for giving us our own historical uh, entertainment and, uh, and humor. Uh, you know, 30 years from now, I want to look back at this and I'm sure we're going to have some chuckles for stuff that I don't even see yet. Of course. There are going to be weird things we do that in the future people are like, why did we do that? Remember back when we had to make the case that trans was a valid way to be as a human being? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yes. That was a weird time. (laughs) Talk to you later, Megan. This episode is brought to you by our patrons at Patreon. Mark, Alan, Rose, Bodil. These episodes would not be possible to create without the support of our generous patrons. If you'd like to be a patron, please follow the link in the description and sign up. Thank you.